0: We just uh, bow and humble adoration, and we just give you all our praise today. We thank you for those who are here in uh, spirit and truth, and we uh, just pray for our brothers and sisters who can't physically be here today, but we know that they are with us in spirit as well. Uh, we just ask that you will bless this time together, that you, you will receive our praise in which you are worthy to be praised. Uh, We pray that our hearts will be open to receive the word that you have uh, given to pastor today. Mm -hmm. And we just uh, ask for you to allow us to learn and grow in the wisdom and knowledge of your word as you command us to do. Uh, We just want to also lift up those who are uh, just struggling with anything, Father, in their lives right now that's holding them back for Giving all to you, we ask that you'll remove those blocks, uh, those things that that just easily trip us up. Uh, Paul said that the flesh is you know weak, but the spirit's willing, and uh, we just pray that uh, everyone will live in the spirit. Uh, we know that your word says where two or three are gathered, you're in the midst, so uh, we just ask that we will just worship you in spirit and truth and that we will encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching near we thank you for Jesus and the salvation that he brought to bring us back in fellowship with you God and we ask for your continued uh, fellowship with us and we love you and we praise you through the name of Jesus we bring these things to you amen amen
1: second Timothy 4 six through eight will be Looking at these, these verses in a moment. But first, I want to talk about something that happened back in 1995. By the way, this message I have today is sort of based upon some of the conversations we've had, and I've been thinking about, about this, about, you, know, the, the purpose in life. And, well, it was December of 1995 my resume was packed. I had diplomas from three universities, a professional engineering license, and a dozen years working in the field. But as I looked over the history of my life, I questioned my life goals. I had accomplished quite a lot, but I felt as if I had no purpose. I would often think about my eternal resume About what was in my eternal file that my Heavenly Father was keeping on me. (laughs) Yes, your Heavenly Father has an eternal file. (laughs) Was I accomplishing the reason I was born? Were my goals big enough for eternity? My earthly existence, my earthly file, was filled with self promoting accomplishment but my eternal file was meager at best. Have you ever felt like your life has no eternal purpose? If you are sensitive to spiritual matters, then you know it's not a good feeling. A loved one dies. A close friend has a life-threatening accident. A neighbor who seems healthy is given only a short time to live. And suddenly you feel uneasy. You wonder, what if that was me? What if today is my last day? Would the accumulation of all the activities in my life be in line with God's vision for my life? He was in prison. His life was in jeopardy. He was looking back at his life. And as he did, Paul saw how his life goal had strengthened and sustained him. He wrote a second letter to Timothy, and a portion of that letter was a statement of what had been Paul's goal through all his Christian life. And this is what Paul wrote to Timothy, especially verse 7 is what I'm interested in. This a portion of that statement was a statement of Paul's life goal. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was looking back at his life. His goal had been set before he began his adventure-filled, maximum effort, life, following Jesus. And his reflection can provide us with some perspective to understand God's vision for our lives Paul's passionate reflection of his life was an expression of his life's goal what was his goal well he said it another way in Philippians verse 1 chapter 1 verse 21 to me to live is Christ he was passionate about it is your goal big enough for eternity. I have a goal. Paul explained the first part of my goal, which is to fight the good fight. I need to minister to the best of my ability, to the full extent of my strength and my skill, and with every fiber of my being. Paul was looking back over the 30 years of his ministry He was confident that he had held nothing back. God had all of Paul that there was. He fought the good fight each day as if it was his last. A lifetime of days like that adds up to a truly great life. In the contest of life, we battle with mediocrity. We battle... With laziness, we battle with self-indulgence, discouragement, doubt, and depression. These try to defeat us. But until we win the battle within, we can't do battle with the opponents that confront us in the world around us. But with the help of God's Holy Spirit, we can be transformed and then persist and win the battle. Paul was prepared. He was ready to do battle with legalism and justification by works that he faced constantly because of the Judaizers that dogged him. He was ready to denounce the false gods and pagan rituals in the religions of his time. He spoke out against social injustice He spoke out against unrighteousness. He traveled the world. And day by day, he talked and preached and debated in the battle for truth. In the same way, in our corner of the world, we confront the social issues of our day. Poverty, prejudice, inequality, injustice, corruption. We also have false religions to deal with. Unrighteousness. And we are called, like Paul, to stand fast in our commitment to communicate the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. Paul wrote that he had finished the race. During each day of his life, he had a goal to finish one lap in his race. Well, just one lap. To know and love and serve his Savior was his goal for each day. And then at the end of his life, he could say that he had finished the race. His daily goal was big enough for eternity. And he forcefully stated that goal throughout all the days of his Christian life. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. An example of how he forcefully stated this goal. One thing I do. I One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That should be our goal also, to press toward the goal daily. That means we run flat out with arms outstretched to reach the goal. Goal like a sprinter in a race. What's the upward call? That would be graduation, to be with Jesus. Paul knew that he was running a race. He knew that his daily activities were pointed toward his goal to live for Christ. And we know where our lives point. And you can't deny this. Deep inside each of us who claim the name of Jesus, we know whether we live for Christ. We know it. You know if your life pleases or displeases God. We all have natural abilities, and the Holy Spirit supplements our natural abilities with spiritual gifts. It's a wonderful situation. You know if you are using your talents. You run in the race of life. And in that race, you can be pleasing to God while you are running. It's possible. Further, Paul affirmed that he kept the faith. Again, his emphasis was on a positive, enthusiastic, all-out intentionality. There was purpose behind his steps. His faith was real. His faith was vibrant in his life. He encouraged the Colossian Christians to adopt a motto. We already read it once today. This is the motto that Paul encouraged the believers in Colossae to adopt. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him wow how about you do you ever question yourself do you ever ask do i live each day of my life with a goal big enough for eternity in second timothy chapter 2 verses 20 and 21 paul gave us a very nice parable this is the parable that he wrote yes paul wrote parables just (laughs) guess he learned that from Jesus. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In a great and stately mansion, the master of the house maintains all sorts of containers. He has some gold and silver containers. He has some earthenware containers. It doesn't matter what the containers are made of. Because once they are cleaned, the master will cherish them all equally. Our Lord uses earthenware vessels like you and me. And he treats us like gold and silver. When we are cleansed and sanctified, we become useful to the master and we are prepared for every good work. So I'm telling you that God has something for you to accomplish. Do you remember when Jesus sent his disciples into a village telling them they would find a colt, the foal of a donkey? Jesus instructed to bring the cult to him to enable him to enter Jerusalem as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. When the owner asked him why they were taking it, the disciples gave a prearranged password. Remember what the disciples said? The Lord has need of it. We should not be surprised that the Lord has need of us, we are important to His plans. So, I'm suggesting a password for life, for you. Read it. <laughs> Say it to yourself: "The Lord has need of me." That's your password. You've got your motto, Colossians three seventeen. Now you've got your password, your motto, and everything you do in life, do all to the glory of God. Your password. The Lord has need of me. The master chooses earthenware vessels like you and me, and then He treats us like gold and silver. We are created to be useful to the Master. Second Corinthians chapter four verse seven makes that clear again, as Paul wrote, "But we have this treasure. This treasure is the gospel. This gospel message, in earthen vessels, that the excellence of all the power may be of God and not of us. It's not us, it's the gospel message within us. Our life in Christ should grip us. We should be ablaze with more than a memory of dusty words written two thousand or thousands of years ago. Jesus himself is our life. We cannot, we should not remain silent about a life that has healed us, made us whole, and turned us into gold and silver vessels in God's eyes. And he has given us a mandate, the word that's thrown around so much these days, the mandate from Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. We have this mandate to, to get up, to make something happen as his follower, to let your light shine in this world because you have the gospel within you, not to be hidden but to be shined on a hill. And the great thing about it is being productive and communicating this life well, let's talk about this life. Mm-hmm. Jesus called himself our life. That was one of the many terms he he used for himself. Life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was the life. We celebrate the Lord of life. And he's given us a mandate to go out and share that life with others. Is it difficult? To communicate the life. It is if it's dependent upon you. You See it's not our adequacy. It's not our talents that qualify us. We are qualified. By the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus called us. He appointed us. To share the life. And he has given us a strategy. A very simple strategy. Of how to. Communicate the life. He directs us to be to others what he is to us. Is that difficult? He directs us to be to others what he is to us. He loved his disciples in the way he had been loved by his father. The disciples were taught to love each other and to love people just as he had loved them. Sharing your faith is loving, listening, caring, communicating God's love, the indwelling Holy Spirit gives you the capacity to be accepting and have an affirming love. And also the Holy Spirit within you allows you to become a delight to another person. See, there's an ambiance about a committed believer which another person can see and feel. You show Jesus when you allow Jesus to manage your life. And when people are loved, they are free to talk about their dreams and their hopes and fears and frustrations and disappointments. When people feel they are loved, they open their hearts and their minds. Paul continued in 2 Timothy chapter 3, with something that he was not shy about at all. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said, In the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times are times of stress. I, don't, I was thinking about a good way to define what perilous times are. There are always perilous times, and they're always stressful. But then Paul went ahead and told us what the root causes of stress are. If I was to use one word to define what the root cause of stress is, it would be behavior. And Paul listed 19 kinds of behavior that create a lot of stress. The list in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, reads like a description of our contemporary culture. All these behavior problems just create stress Upon stress. This is what Paul wrote. Will happen in perilous times. (laughs) Times of stress. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of God, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. This could have been written this week. (laughs) to describe the behavior of the general population in the United States. Stressful or behavior that causes stress. Paul was deeply concerned not only about our doctrinal purity, but he also was concerned about behavioral consistency. He wanted us to have belief with action. Convictions with personality. And so here Paul described people who came to Christ as Lord, but have not allowed Christ to transform their personalities. You hear me say it so many times. Have you given the Holy Spirit something to work with? If you don't, you'll never change. Your personality will never change. I could find myself described... By at least one of these character flaws <laughs> every day. <laughs> this is a bracing inventory of the danger of unchrist-like behavior that can reside in all of us. The last behavior listed is having a form of godliness, but denying its power. This means people who have accessorized their lives with rituals and rules of religion, fake Christians, but in their lives, they deny the transforming power of God. a form Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. I suppose that describes all of us, to some extent, once in a while. These are character traits that reveal themselves with personality disorders. And let me me tell you, they are Holy Spirit quenchers. These personality behaviors will extinguish your passion. They will keep you from experiencing the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but Pastor Michael, that's just the way I am. I can't change. I've always been this way. Don't tell me. Tell God. Don't convince me that you can't change. Let me tell you, he certainly changed me. God's God's power has changed me. God's power has changed tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It's changed their personality from these character traits that we see that Paul wrote about into a pleasant, pleasing fragrance that God finds very pleasing. We try not to be judgmental, but then we allow people to drift along with the same bad habits they had when they began their Christian life. When you quench the Holy Spirit, your personality does not change. You will quench the Holy Spirit when you pour cold water on the fire of spiritual enthusiasm and expectation, the expectation of transformation, not only in yourselves, but within others as well. Your fire-quenching behaviors will impact others as well as yourself. One of the spirit-quenching behaviors Paul mentioned is being a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. God. This is what I was mentioning early. Brother Lonnie brought me in this direction. What's your idol, you, you asked me. Yeah. And what's a person's idol? Before you dismiss this behavior as having no application in your life, stop for a moment and ask, what would friends or workmates or acquaintances in the community say is the love of your life? Would anyone say, now there's a person who really loves God? Would anybody say that? See, the Holy Spirit wants to set you ablaze with love for the Father and for Jesus and for the people in your life. Putting other things, especially yourself, ahead of these three priorities will quench your spiritual fire. And did you notice what Paul said after he listed all 19 of those Holy Spirit quenching personality (laughs) behavior problems? And from such people turn away. He said, don't hang out with them. That doesn't mean don't minister to them. It means don't hang with them. The church is meant to be a hospital for re- redeemed sinners who are being healed and set free and transformed. Those who are called out. It was not intended to be a collecting place of religious sinners who continually release the Holy Spirit's power who are never changed. We must confront our unChrist-like behavior and expose ourselves to the Holy Spirit's healing power. That's right, it's a healing power. We can be healed of these spirit quenching personality traits. Indeed, Scripture teaches us that both acceptable and unacceptable. unacceptable. Behavior traits. And we should be teaching them, discussing them, and even preaching them. Well, I can't finish a message like this without mentioning one last thing. It's often mentioned about Paul, and that is his contagious confidence. <laughs> he wrote, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. We read that earlier. Second Timothy chapter four, verse eight. "The crown of righteousness that was laid up for him in heaven would be a triumphal recognition of his justification by faith through Christ alone. But Paul also believed that along with a crown of righteousness, his goal to live his life for Jesus would also be recognized. That's right. There's a heavenly file being kept on each of us. He gave his all. He stretched for the finish line. He lived his trust and faith in Jesus in every circumstance. In our eternal file, our eternal file, the record of our sins and failures and mistakes may not be there, or at least they won't be used against us, far more important will be the record of your belief in Jesus as your personal Savior. And there will also be a record of the times when you cared for the needs of people as if you were serving Jesus himself. When you reach out to someone who needs to hear the gospel message, rededicate or rededicate their life, or be discipled, to teach them. And since Jesus called you out with a mandate, <laughs> I think there will be honorable mention of the fire of your passion for living your daily life with a goal that is big enough for eternity. Amen. Hallelujah.
2: You came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now I will sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never. After. Find my wandering